0: Welcome to All About APIs. On this podcast, you'll hear from seasoned API practitioners, product leaders, and architects on what it takes to successfully design, launch, and maintain APIs that unlock new growth opportunities. Hello and welcome, everyone. This is the All About APIs podcast. I'm your host, Buddha, product evangelist here at Tyke. Over the course of the season, we have been discussing all things API-led product growth. We have looked at different aspects, different areas of this particular topic. And today, we're going to be looking at what API-led product growth means for the financial services industry, especially fintech, and some of the lessons learned from diving into the world of API-led growth in this specific vertical. With me today to enlighten us on this very topic is Daniel. A big grand welcome to you, Daniel. Thank you so much for being here with us.
1: Thanks for having me. Exciting.
0: Awesome. Let's get started. Then, uh, perhaps, Daniel, you could give us a little bit um, of your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience, and what your journey in the world of APIs has been so far.
1: Sure. Um, so, yeah, I've always been uh, on kind of a bit of a hybrid. Uh, not a classically trained engineer, but I was always kind of technical through you know, high school, university. I um, got a degree in, 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 in economics uh, out of university and then started two startups um, right out of the university. One was in financial uh, news uh, sentiment detection, um, and then other one was in uh, social media uh, space, like more retail app. Um, both obviously, unfortunately, didn't pan out, but that's where I really picked up a lot of that API by building them, using, consuming them, um, and working a lot. Um, that led me to um, get a, getting a role as a pre-sales engineer in a, in a, it was at that point, not yet a fintech, but in a financial services company, um, being kind of the first hire into, so they say essentially demoing and selling the APIs. Uh, and then because I was one of the first people to care about APIs, I kind of became the de facto product manager. Um, so really been straddling, um, you know, initially started a more technical front. Uh, then uh, went more product side of the house, uh, and then you know pre-sales was always nice because you're always talking to customers. So being a product manager and pre-sales you know, under and uh, simultaneously was a was a nice thing. Um, End up growing the teams in pre-sales side, a uh, uh, product side. Um, left that organization last year, and now I lead uh, API North America for Kariba. Uh, leading a number of uh, API products, both consuming and kind of outwards
0: facing. Great. Um, been quite the journey then. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your recent experience, especially when we talk about the financial <laughs> services industry or the fintech industry. What's been your, how did you get started? What was your sort of initial impressions of that particular industry? And how did you see organizations or people sort of utilizing APIs in that particular space?
1: As I mentioned in my little intro that but I joined, the company was financial services. It was not a fintech, but, you know, about 2015, around that time, you know, a bit earlier, but later for some of the companies, a lot of the companies started really to, uh, turning the corner on it. Um, so it's, it's been, you know, a massive, uh, massive shift. I think uh, during COVID, there was a, a crazy study, even how further it went in the past couple of years was that, you know, only after biggest, uh, biggest uh, API benefactor of COVID was um, in, in, in sheer volume was uh, medical Space and the second mode is, is financial because so many processes just became more automated. So I think, yeah, it's 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 been growing for a number of years and it's it's keep growing right now. Now there's API first companies in fintech space, but it's there's still crazy amount of growth. Um, so I think it's just depending where where the companies in the journey, where the industries on in the journey, some industries in financial and t- fintech are much closer. Um, uh, to the customer they may maybe vary. Um well into their journey. Some of the larger organizations maybe slow in their journey, but yeah, it's been, it's been a constant, huge growth, I think, um, in different aspects from data to execution, uh, for the entire time I've, I've been involved.
0: You you bring up a really interesting point there. Where I think terminologies again, I'm a big fan of this clarification in terms of terminologies because I've seen people using financial services and fintech almost interchangeably. In some cases, there are obviously different stakeholders in in the industry itself. You've got your fintechs, you've got the banks, and you know there is financial services overall coming in. So perhaps just for the folks who are new to this area, could you tell us a little bit about what are what is the difference? What is financial services? What do you mean by fintech? What is what role does a bank play in, in all of this?
1: Yeah, so financial services, really, any company that um, it's very very loosely, right, that deals with in financial uh, space, it could be capital markets, could be advice, you know, it's it's a pretty broad, depends who you ask. You're going to have completely different uh, parts of the industry never talking to each other, right? But it's, you know, anything to do with money movement and recognition of money, uh, so that could be not just... Execution, but also services around it, like taxes, that in a way, Uh, the I think the big difference between banks and fintechs is that some of the um, lines are being slowly erased. Is the licensing, right? So a fintech has to use a bank essentially, because there are some notable exceptions, especially with crypto. But you know, fundamentally, you cannot hold money without a bank. That's that's really what the license of the bank has. So most fintechs actually use a bank. Uh, And most banks are trying to use some technologies. So there's very nice symbiosis, right? I think a number of years ago, that was uh, a lot of articles and saying, oh, fintechs are going to crush banks and stuff like that. In reality, it's a symbiosis. Uh, It's not something you can, you you have one without the other. Banks have the regulation and the licensing to hold the money in a protected way. Um, And then the fintechs have the agility to execute, right? So it's really um, a very nice uh, kind of industry play where, you know, there's a lot of MA activity. Some fintechs are trying to become banks, uh, but it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's an ecosystem rather than a in you know, a purely competitive environment.
0: They are solving very different problems and they have their own skill sets. So absolutely, definitely an ecosystem. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Which brings us to, obviously, the, the main theme of today, which is around API-led product growth. So we've seen what the ecosystem looks like. We've seen how APIs sort of started coming in and what sort of benefits that's brought in. But when we talk about API-led product growth, it tends to mean different things for different people, different verticals, obviously think about it very differently. You've got, in some cases, it is purely a revenue play. In some cases, it is building out new products, different segments, different user groups. So just bringing that in, is that also true for say the, the fintech industry or maybe the financial services industry at large? Or would you say it is? It is there is a different perspective um, to API-led product growth here.
1: Yeah, so I think that there's all, all, all that is true, but you know, as, as we previously mentioned, there's so much differences in, in what products and, and we are trying to serve, right? So I think it really depends on a number of parameters, um, including size. Uh, you know, region is also potentially plays a role, but I think even if we started some some major ones, is like what what space are you in, B two B or B two C? That obviously has a very big impact. Uh, other component would be, uh, especially from how product like growth is, is happening, what they should focus on is size of organization versus the age of organization, right? Just because a big organization, if they, you know, went through hyper growth, it could be enormous, um, you know, doesn't mean they're old and uh, some of the older organizations may have some bigger problems and a legacy. Uh, and what I mean by that, so like in a big organization, having API-led growth is, um, presents a number of problems, they're actually less, in my opinion, are less technical. Um, you know, if you have a small startup or a smaller company with 50, 100 people where every engineer knows each other and they, they know everything, um, you know, you don't, API governance is not a big big of a topic. However, in a larger organization, um, I think api growth, you know, I think at that point, especially if it's a technical product in nature, then you may have amazing APIs, amazing engineers working on it. But you know the, the governance becomes such a critical component of it uh, where you know discoverability of it making sure it's standardized making sure it's usable altogether right that I think really becomes a, a big concern uh, and something needs to be solved so you probably already solved the technical com- component you have you know the top of the line uh, on a technical level but you need that coordination uh, that sometimes is unfortunately solved uh, through human aspect of it and the best have so- usually is through more automated way, through having good governance, and I think that's one of the bigger concerns on the bigger side of the organizations being part of a few of those conversations. While if you kind of also add the dimension of time, I think the API-led component uh, is uh, runs against uh, you know the legacy issues. You have the monolithic; some organizations still have um, mainframes. You know they're just or just big monolithic chunks of code that nobody knows what it does. Uh, and, and then obviously API-led growth uh, kind of bumps into that because you're trying to have a roadmap, but then you have these large chunks of code that you basically are not allowed to touch. Uh, and how do you control your, your delivery w- with there's this massive things you just basically cannot touch, or if you touch, it's you know six-month delay, right? So that's the other component is like you have to manage um, properly. And that's pr- it's less of a technical thing. I think it's more of a good product sense of, Piecemealing the functionality in such a way that it you can still deliver value and have that uh, product-led API growth, while still you know unless you're getting that approved to replace the whole monolith, which is very rarely happens. Just being honest with yourself and being okay, you know we're going to be focusing on this specific functionality and is going to deliver this specific value while they're still monolith instead of trying to boil the ocean and trying to, um, you know, change a core process of an organization that's, you know, that has no interest in doing so.
0: Absolutely. I think you bring out a very interesting point there, because we've seen this as well when it comes to, you know, just having conversations with folks who are trying to implement this in different different industries as well. It's not just limited to fintech, but it's, it's also about... It's, it's a process. Like you say, it's a process, a shift in mindset. It's a shift in process and, and the shift in how you're going to be approaching the problem. A lot of times people think about API at product growth and that's their, where they want to get started. But on further inspection, they would probably look at, okay, actually your infrastructure right now is really not built to be able to get you to that point where you actually want to be. Now, like you say, you don't probably don't have to have a ground up revamp of everything, but there is probably an opportunity there to phase it out in such a way where you've got the first stage, which is really getting your core infrastructure right. Maybe that is going to be through an API management platform. Maybe there is going to be some other tooling that is going to help you get there. So that, like you say, you've got more visibility over just the APIs that you own right now, having the security that is going to form that foundation, trying to speak the same language first, before you can start, you know, creating that next step in your journey, which is where api at Product Growth comes in. So absolutely agree with you on that. So. You touched upon API governance as well. And I think that, again, leads us into the world of, say, standardization. So, and again, fintech and other regulated industries, for instance, there is a lot of conversations around open standards or open banking and PST2 being one of the two of the more popular ones around. So what is sort of your take on that? Do you think open standards good, not so good? needs to be changed are they working are they not working what's your sort of stance on your opinion on the world of uh, open standards in accelerating some of this stuff to to get get moving
1: well obviously it's a great step forward um there's still a lot a lot to do i think it's you know it's not a we're, we're there um like psd2 as you mentioned i mentioned is a european one um and it's it's very you know even their technical standards are actually very non-technical which is a probably a good thing. It's, it's very much a a rule change, a legal, almost like a legal change of who's allowed to touch the data. And it, it really forced the banks that didn't have API programs to say, you have to have an API program. We don't care how you do it, but this is the data that should be available and, and to whom. Um, so I think that was very important. But interesting thing about PSD2 is that it's basically only not only, but it's heavily retail-oriented, right? So it doesn't really affect corporate clients. It has some effects, but um, a lot of it is in indirect. And um, so, the so so open banking is it's very regional right now. Um, so in Europe, yes, uh, but also very segmented, where only certain types of API traffic is subject to it. Uh, while you know it's also being being worked on in Canada and U.S., but you know it's not out there yet. So uh, it's there. There's a number of um, Standards that are applying to uh, to different areas, I do think is generally creating pressure on the banks. Um, even if it's a B two C regulation, uh, the the B two B components usually a, a larger larger banks, you know, obviously have both sides of the business. Um, but they're kind of looking at it, okay, this is a coming or might as well do it. Uh, but there's also there's just you know I, I have this theory that the B two C always affects B two B financial services. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a CFO, or a large corporate, and you're a B2B user, you're still a B2C when you're sending money to your son, or daughter, wife, whatever, right? Uh, Venmo or some sort of a transaction. So um, there's always that pressure, of especially user experience, where I've seen definitely in B2B payments where, you know, a CFO will be asking you questions like, why is it so easy to send 100 bucks, but it's so hard to send 10 million dollars? Right, and they they just couldn't understand. Like, I'm paying you so much money. Why is this? Why is one so much harder than the other? Right, or so much uh, worse? Um, so I think there's also part of that experience um, driving the on the on the client side uh, where people are seeing the certain experiences. Like, oh well, I want that for my corporate or SME. Um, so yeah, it's overall good, but I think it's still a, little, uh, a long way ahead. Um, and at some point, there'll probably be some conflict between standards um, with some deconfliction of it, but yeah, it's 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 really, we're still fairly early in the journey.
0: I think like you, you sort of touched upon this as well, where there is a technical component of it, which is sort of a driver behind that standardization. Like you want to have different systems speaking the same language, being able to communicate with each other, providing, driving that value, which is kind of the overall objective is to be able to do that, especially when you're working with legacy systems or banks it's kind of forcing them a little bit to to move forward a little bit more so that fintechs can actually utilize that data, provide that value that they they are built for to their consumers, but they can't really do that if they're trying to work with multiple banks speaking multiple different languages, or in this case, trying to formulate or create their APIs in, in so many different ways. So I think I think the overall objective is is appropriate, where the standardization is going to bring these systems a lot closer. It's going to make life easier in terms of integration. So that's the technical component. Obviously, there is the business side of things as well, where um, you're really trying to look at what kind of value drivers are going to be brought into this mix as well. So I think there'll be a couple of different conversations to be had, and there is an evolution. I'm I'm sure I'm with you on that, where I think there's going to be an evolution to all of this.
1: Just to, to add to it, but but also the technical component. I think is to be frank is you know we're talking about APIs, but that's almost the easier part of it because you know it's it's not that hard to to do a CRUD API on, on a process, right? But making sure that process is standardized across, let's say five, 10, 100 banks, right? It's it's much easier than making sure that that process internally standardized. that so it's following you know uh, the data refresh is actually you know real time and not just. Every four hours, with an API wrapped around it, with a delay, you know, like making sure that, that the actual business experience is standardised and following certain expectations is much much harder. And that I think that's what's driving is that it has certain, you know, time based components of the of the technical. Like it's, it's very legal language, but they've it certain, you know, process oriented uh, components, which then building API around is very is much simpler, so that. You know, if it's slightly different variation, are using camel case or you're using underscore, right? It becomes it's yes that that that's maybe maybe a pain to map it, uh, but that's a much smaller problem to solve than a completely different process across the ten banks.
0: Definitely, I think predictability is is one of the key drivers as well here. Where again, you're trying to make sure that things are repeatable, things are. A understandable, and then B, you can trust that whatever calls that you're making, whatever integrations that you're doing, is working today, and hopefully will continue to do so. Um, And if you were to try and repeat the same process across different systems, then you don't have to keep customizing and making those changes, and therefore driving that efficiency associated with it. Um, One one thing again, with you, you touched upon conventions as well in terms of you know how do you want to standardize processes internally. There is an internal driver to all of this as well, but there is equally. A risk averseness that comes to comes with API-led product growth in a lot of industries and probably more so in in financial services too, where you have a lot of people who are a little bit hesitant to even adopt APIs to begin with, and then exposing those APIs for external users can be can be a problematic thing for a lot of people, at least in their own minds. So do you see that as a trend coming in across the board? How do you sort of navigate some of those uh, challenges when it comes to managing risks and um, getting people on board with with the journey like this?
1: Yeah, I think I think API is definitely a. People have become very risk averse around it. Sometimes, when especially it's a non technical product, where you know financial services, they're not technical. They're very really technical, maybe in the financial modeling side of the house, so they can be very mathematically inclined um however they could completely not be aware of the technology component of it and when you're saying oh people are going to have access to this and it's going to be out there and are like oh my god you know you can't have it out there it's like no it's secure but so it's like there is um i think just just because you know api is secure it's not obvious to a lot of the uh, user uh, business uh, people because API, you know um depending on what your end product is if your if your core product is, is not technical which actually most products are not right uh there's a lot of business people leaders and organization who are who, who probably have loose understanding of what an api is and they probably are familiar with it by now but you know, what is their comfort level, right? Uh, so that's something you have to consider. Um, so when you're talking about, oh, it's all open and it's all, you know, all and just saying open and, and free available would be very scary when you're, you know, a financial leader, which you're used to very, you know, uh, secure. And just because it's open, it doesn't mean it's not secure, but the terminology could be very confusing and uh, cause that risk a knee-jerk reaction.
0: Definitely. And, and I think I think a lot of people also believe that in terms of, you know, just driving value, why would we want to give away things for free and i think i was having this conversation as well and it's like no no we want to we want to keep this within our system we don't we want to have these things hidden behind firewalls uh we don't want to expose everything out there and i think that's where that that sort of mindset shift is very very important in an api first landscape that we are we're definitely moving towards or maybe we are already there so so absolutely which which brings me to that step of if if an organization is looking to get started on their journey of say API led product growth, they are probably much further away. They are probably not there yet at the moment. They are, their infrastructure is not quite there. So what would you suggest for an organization like that to, you know, your your aspiration is to be able to get to API led product growth where you are getting and driving value for your end users and customers and potentially generating some form of revenue on your end. Uh, but how do you get started? How do you take that first step? What is that first step?
1: Well, first, first step, you definitely need to have the right people. I think um, having the right people that know what good looks like um, is extremely important. And, and yeah, definitely there is uh, work for talent and stuff like that. There, there's definitely that. But uh, people is, is definitely mo- most important component that, that have either have done it or have a very good understanding of what good looks like in this case, right? Yeah. Um, some of the things that I think are are critical, maybe some of them are maybe less uh, for if there's a first step, but you absolutely, absolutely need to have a stable demo or sandbox with good data, right? Um, it's it's very hard to, to, regardless of what your product is, entertainment, fintech, medical, right? It's very hard to have a meaningful API in the market that, you know, somebody's going to go product, like oh, Earlston is going to go check it out and do something with. If your sandbox is a, either not working, doesn't have even remotely closed data or it's you know behind so many security things that nobody can access it ever right uh, so i think if you don't have that that's going to be very hard to do anything api product led because nobody's going to be able to do anything um the other component I think thing is don't forget to communicate the with the rest of the business especially as i mentioned if the core product is non is non-technical um you know it's very easy to have a very elegant api solution that, that's you know that's uh, very high speed, and it's great, but, you know, the business doesn't understand what the hell the point of it is. Um, and, you know, constant communication of, you know, if you're a technical product, it's, that's fine because most organi- organization understands. However, if you're in financial space or medical or entertainment or manufacturing, you know, it's, uh, you need to tie back to the business value of why you're doing that whole thing. There's probably a very good reason, but do not forget the reason why you're building APIs. Building APIs for, building, for the sake of building APIs is, is not going to go far. Uh, and then the last piece, really not the first thing to do, um, but you know something I would say, not probably the second, uh, but we touched on it, is API governance. If you're trying to scale the organization. I think that's, um, that's I think is absolutely critical. Not having it, um, you know, back in a, earlier on, maybe that was less important, um, but now with um, you know we know so much about it. Uh, with so many good practices, having good API governance would definitely help you avoid uh, a lot of problems down the line.
0: Yeah, and one of the points that you brought out here was really trying to communicate the the, the impact, almost impact and the value, I think. And, and that can be the, the key driver and the key thing that wins people's trust. Because a lot of times in big, large organizations, you'll see that There are experiments run, they're not going all in yet, but you're sort of experimenting with something that you think is going to help you innovate or get to that next step of the journey and to be able to convince the others. And not everyone is convinced at the beginning, of course. You've got a small team of people who are probably convinced and they are going after this. And what is going to convince the people to actually put in those resources would be the data to back up all of the hypothesis that has gone into it. And I think that's kind of a, a really, really key driver for Making sure that you're tracking the right things, which obviously brings me now to the next aspect here, where a key area of API-led product growth also is around the metrics, the things that you're looking to track, the things that you want to be monitoring, things that is going to help you make that decision for, uh, you know, whether to continue or discontinue the things that you're doing. So. For the fintech industry, what would you say some of those metrics are? What should be measured? What should be sort of a priority when you're setting up some of these systems to actually help you make those decisions?
1: I think it's very product dependent, right? Um, are you are you just a data product right, that is around data, right? So then the simple way of doing it, uh you know, you know, is volume, right? How many API calls? Um that's a sim- very simplistic way of looking at it. Uh, that's always a starting point. However, if you're in data business, are you just providing uh, volume data? Then I mean, you can just charge by megabyte, right? You can say, hey, you know, for megabyte, every hundred megabytes, I'm gonna charge your X. Um, however, I think with, with a lot of the insights we're doing, uh, data products are you know can be priced in a lot of more innovative ways, right? So look at t- tying it back to what business value you're doing, charging by megabyte is not really business value. I mean, it may be simple, uh, but maybe it's per insight so it doesn't matter if they use 100 megabytes of your data uh, versus one megabyte or e- even less right uh, but if you know how many insights they were able to generate maybe for example with machine learning all this stuff you know it's it's there's data component of flowing it but there's also like, what are you getting back the outflow of it right um, so that, that's one component is, is, is tying it back to the business value not just charging for the technical components it's very easy to do it in an in a api telemetry way right Um, traffic, volume, whatever, right? Um, So that's on the data side, but there's other components to it where um, if it's execution, right? You know, you can be charging uh, for, you know, going back to the insight for generation of some sort of a process, right? Um, That, you know, it could be done in five calls or it could be done in 10 calls. It it potentially might not matter uh, if it generates a process. It could be charging for process. In payments, that's, you know, you're charging uh, execution of payment if it's other things you know it's so i think it, it needs to be tied back on what are you doing uh and how do we align it because as a starting point it, it, it's it's always good to know how many api co- api calls you're doing but you depending on your product you you do want to have a good understanding does that correlate to what my business value is and what the customer is buying because if you have disjointed um cost and revenue structure, then that, that, you know, if everything is going well, and it's going cr- crazy, great, but there there could be some divergence that create issues. Um, so then you're really digging in and understanding, you know, what does that put, what does that post do? And, and why does a customer care about it? Not just counting your, you know, your, your gets and, and the puts.
0: Yes. And, and I think that's where the, the sort of um, combination of multiple kind of metrics, like you mentioned, come in so handy where you're, as an organization, you might be tracking a lot of different things where it, and it could be on, on a lot of different levels, but essentially trying to put all of that in the context of maybe the jobs to be done, which is important for the organization, perhaps the value driver's and what they are, what kind of problems they are solving. What is the, What are the metrics that's going to help that business succeed? What are the things that you should be doing more of and what are the things that you should not be doing more of? But you're going to be looking at the combination of your user metrics or combination of your business metrics, combination of your infrastructure metrics, all pooled in and all put together to tell that story that is going to help you say, are you doing the right things? Should you continue in the trajectory that you've sort of uh, endeavored along? Or should you be changing track? Or should you be, you know, diversifying a little bit more? Should you be doing something different? Because what you're doing right now is probably not, not working. So absolutely critical to have that kind of visibility. Absolutely critical to know what kind of outcomes, A, that you're what kind of out- outcomes you're expecting, as well as B, to be able to track against those target outcomes what is actually the reality. And I think that will help organizations understand a little bit more about, okay, if something is not working right now, what kind of tools do we need to actually make that possible? If there is no visibility, then perhaps an API management tool could help out. Maybe a monitoring tool could help out. A logging system could help you out do that. But ultimately... It'll come down to the human component because tools will always be enablers. It'll come down to how are you using that data? How are you using those tools to be able to make those decisions, to be able to drive those decisions? So, yeah. Just
1: to to, to add to it, actually, to expand on that. Yeah, I think the important important component with with API monitoring uh, is also experimentation aspect, right? As I've seen this, maybe because of the products I was working on, but uh, often the use cases can be, you know, I I talked about APIs to, as a bit of a Lego, right? You can build different products and sometimes your clients can come up with things you haven't even conceived of or thought of in any way. So have, like it's, it's hard to imagine with a lot of other products, right? When you buy a car, you buy a car, you're going to go from point A to point B. But then it's like somebody buys a car, disassembles and makes a windmill out of it. You're like, why is, it, is Why is there a windmill? Why is it, you know, shouldn't be like, you can see things like that don't make sense to you, but to the client, it can make total sense out of it, right? So I think you also want to factor in your metrics that, just because it looks different, or actually looks very similar, but you may not understand it. Just having the tolerance for experimentation, not on your side, but on the client, and then supporting the clients with it. Because just because they're you think they're abusing your uh, your uh, API volumes, it actually might be a very good reason. It's like, hey, actually, maybe we should increase the volume because that is a great use case. Maybe they they increase the volume of getting the data, and so I think it's it's allowing the experimentation. And being inquisitive and working with the clients, uh, but to do that, you to spot it, you need to have good tooling and the right kind of mentality and organization to say, hey, like that's an interesting use case we haven't thought of. Let's explore it, support it, do whatever, and then it could cr- create a new product. I've also seen that. Um, you go, oh, that's that's a completely different product. Like I've I've had those where API led product was literally led to a brand new, almost financial instrument. It, it was more of a technical instrument that really came from the clients that, can you do this, this, and this? And in this sequence, we're like, yeah, it's like, perfect, package it. It's like, how does that make sense And you see it? And they're like, oh, that's a whole new product that we're going to focus on. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it's experimentation, uh, being tolerant to experimentation and having the tooling for it is very important.
0: Completely agree with you. I think there's a there's a very interesting story around uh, user research. I think we've got our user research team, and I think a lot of times mm-hmm. when we actually go on those user research uh, interviews, quite often we would see that okay, we've our intention with our product is there is a hypothesis around that where we obviously we've done our research. We are we're not just flying blind. We've done our research. We have looked at some of the data, what we believe we've we've heard from users and customers, and we've built out a product. However, there will be those sort of cases like you mentioned where it might be used in a completely completely different way and that's kind of the interesting one even though perhaps the the users that we are probably interacting with they might be telling us that they want it in a certain way but they might be actually the actual actions might say completely different so I think that being able to observe some of that behavior to be able to be mindful of that behavior is also going to be very very important to be able to perhaps track some of it but equally just just having that open communication, open feedback, I think is gonna be very, very important. Given that we are talking on an iterative cycle of uh, transformation where you're building out a product, there's a lot of hypothesis that goes into it. Obviously, informed hypothesis is not based out of thin air, but still it's a hypothesis. And until unless you try out and get that feedback loop working for you, um, you're not gonna have that kind of success. And there's always gonna be iteration. I think there is the definition of success keeps changing. It's always, I think it's a moving target in most cases where tomorrow's success, probably day after tomorrow, it's going to be completely different. So um, so to be able to have that feedback and, and pulse of uh, the users, I think that is going to be very, very important um, for organizations to succeed. Which brings us to what are, say, what are some of the lessons around people doing things horribly wrong? Some of the don't do's when it comes to, you know, the API-led product growth space, especially in financial services, fintech. What is it that, you would tell people that you sh- they should definitely avoid? That do not do this. Whatever you do, do not do this. What would be some of those sort of lessons around this?
1: Sure. So I, I think one is, um, you know, I think a lot of my answers are on product because being a product manager, I have a bit biased for those kind of answers here. But I think, you know, it's with with API teams, um, regardless of the organization, you um, but especially if you're non-technical core product, uh, it's make sure you don't get away from the end user and use cases. It's very easy to start building an API. It's very technical, and you know, going down that rabbit hole um, that you want to avoid. It's it's not even premature optimization, which I think is another um, you know piece to avoid. Uh, kind of goes in hand in hand, but making sure that your your solution actually is. Is meaningful to the end user, and it's you're not just solving that one specific internal thing, uh, and, and in, in, in a very elegant way, right? That you're keeping in mind the end user, the use case, uh, and the organization at hand, um, and then just having that business sense around building those APIs of well, wh- where is it going to be used, and, and how is it going to be used, right? I've, I've worked in, in my past, um, implementing APIs, um, on uh, in a place where there was really bad internet. So actually, you would expect that your APIs would fail more than half half the time. So one of the goals is to get the payments in such a way that you have the least amount of um, API calls to complete it because you have to basically chain them in such a way that making sure that it it works. Otherwise, if you have four APIs, each of them with 50% chance of failure, you're having absolutely terrible experience. So you have to keep that in mind. You can have most high performance uh, API, but the problem is not on your end. You have to understand where the problem is, and it's on you know with the user. Um, so that's just an example of of considering those kind of things when building out a solution. Um, then I think the other component is I've kind of talked about premature optimization. You know, obviously, scale is important, but you need to balance it against the use case, right? You don't want to go and okay, how is this going to work uh, across 100 million users or 10 million users if you, if you still are struggling to get the first 10 right? So, I think premature optimization is a is always like, oh, we, we can make this look amazing. It's going to be lightning fast, but like, great, but nobody's using it, especially if it's a new product. Uh, I've definitely seen that uh, a, a number of times. Uh, and then um, the one thing uh, is security is important, but do not make it in such a way that it's impossible to use your API. Uh, so I think there's a lot of market standard solutions that are, Good, they're, they're, they're open. there's there's basically there are solutions that are standard and that people know how to use, right? So for one side, it's when a developer looks at it, it's, okay, auth two, I know how to use it, you know, maybe if it's MTLS, whatever, right? You, you know how to do it, but do not try to invent your own security mechanisms. Uh, I've definitely seen the cases where it's super secure, but it's basically impossible to get to the data. And that's it's like, oh, but no, it's, it's so hard to get to. It's like, yeah, I'm as a, as a you know, you trying to use it, this is impossible. <laughs> Um, so I think it's it's obviously you don't want to. I'm not saying don't be secure. You absolutely will have to be secure. But there's very smart people who've solved a lot of those problems. If you think you're creating something new and great, um, you could be. But most likely, you're just blocking your clients from accessing your product, uh, and that could be a very big. You know, going back to the how, what, how, what to have. If you have a good stable demo uh, environment with data, right? Don't build a crazy. As an infosec process around that, you can, nobody can access, right? Um, that time to hello world metric um, is, is a good one to measure it because if, if nobody can figure out how to connect, yes, no hackers can do it, but also your clients can't do it. So
0: definitely, absolutely, yep. I think I think there is that point around um, how secure is too secure and how little security is too little security. So I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, one one thing, just coming back to your Experience as a product manager, there is a big element because it's great to have a lot of these governance ideas and ideologies in place and good to haves and all of these things in place where you, you have security practices and uh, planning and strategies and all of that. But it all needs to be tied in together. There, is, there needs to be that degree of collaboration across different um, teams within an organization to actually bring that to fruition which is always challenging. The, the divide perhaps between the engineering side, perhaps a little bit between the business side and marketing, all of these teams need to work together, but you can see that they might be driven by different motivations, at least in, in in their own silos sometimes. The objective obviously is to work towards a singular vision, but in a lot of times they're probably driven by different things. So as a product manager, how would you go about instilling a degree of collaboration that actually Guides everyone across departments to work towards that that common goal of achieving growth for a product or making a really successful product.
1: I think that's the role of a product manager, right? It's depending on each organization. Obviously, you want to foster collaboration, but I don't, I, I don't know if there's a silver bullet out there. Uh, if there is, I'm I'm not aware of it. Uh, you know, obviously collaboration. But it, it depends on our organization. You have to do different things, right? Sometimes you're um, you're more on working more with the technical team. Uh, sometimes you're more working with the marketing or with the finance, right? Um, it, it, I think it really depends. It's about, I think that the, the key thing is a spotting where, where you know the where you need to spend your time and, and spending your time there, right? In um, different parts of my career, I spent in, in, with very different departments a lot of time. There was a role of time where I spent a lot as a sales enablement because, you know, if, if, if the sales team doesn't understand what they're selling and why they're selling it you know great right? you can build the best product um although that was not product-led uh, component right um if, if you're more product-led you need to spend with um more outreach and the marketing side, so people are aware of it too a bit right it really depends uh, on the thing but it's, the, the key skill there is to uh, you know identify where you need to spend time and not just doing what you've done in the past you know just because in you know previous role, for example you were very successful at doing x with this team that doesn't mean that's what you needs to happen here. Maybe it's a very different uh, problem. Uh, you know, on the surface, it may look the same, but it's actually stemming from a different area. So I think it's just being honest uh, where you need to spend your time. And I think overall, the key thing there is just um, spending a lot of time with a lot of different teams and being a bit of an evangelist. Uh, you know, Product manager is an evangelist of, the, of their own product, but just spending the time communicating. There, there was, a I remember years ago, there was one product launch and my proud moment was i presented i did a demo and i did or some sort of a presentation of the product in that company to everybody except a receptionist and hr team everybody else i have every other team in the company somehow got uh got me to speak to them right um and yeah depending what you're trying to do it's you but usually you know talking to more departments making sure people understand what why it's happening um and early enough too right uh, so that they have the time to react. So it's not that at launch, you're telling InfoSec, oh, by the way, we're launching this new API tomorrow. And then InfoSec is having a, you know, <laughs> not having a fun, uh, fun night about it. So um, yeah, just, just getting everybody aligned and, and working with them on, uh, because a lot of people have very different takes on it or experiences. Uh, they can contribute to it in, in many different ways and sometimes more ways than uh, you, can, you can expect, just being open to experimentation around
0: it. All right. That's been great. We are at time now. So thank you so much, Daniel. That has been absolutely wonderful having a conversation with you. There's so many interesting and exciting nuggets around the world of financial services and what api at product growth means just putting things into context of the different challenges that you experience, just based off of the verticals and based off some of the objectives that are the motivating factors for organizations in this particular space. So thank you so much. It has been wonderful speaking with you. Hopefully you had a good time as well. And um, it's it's been great having you with us.
1: Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time, cheers and take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of All About APIs, powered by Tyke, a leading cloud-native API management platform for the modern stack. So come, empower your teams and put your devs in the driver's seat. If you want to find out more, visit us at tyke.io. And until next time, take good care of yourself.